Before we get started, I want to talk about sponsors that help make this show possible. I've partnered with swimming companies that can serve our international audience. I'd like to introduce our newest sponsor, Swim Angelfish. Swim Angelfish is an online certification program that strengthens your teaching curriculum to serve swimmers of all abilities. Swim Angelfish will prepare you and your instructors with the skills to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions, and more. Learn to teach skills faster and with more comfort with Swim Angelfish. Apply for an only alpha pool product scholarship and receive up to 50% off your certification. Go to swimangelfish.com today to apply. One of the best ways to build power in the pool is by using a tower. I got introduced to Chuck Destro. Because of the way Chuck designed them, they can break down and ship in a much smaller box so they can ship anywhere in the world for a reasonable price. Use code BRETT at checkout and save $150 on a double swim tower. That means if you order two, you can save $300. Order four, save $600. Go to destromachines.com to get your team stronger in the water today. Looking to host your first swim meet or replacing an old timing system? Run a swim meet with ease from your laptop using superior swim timing. You can use superior swim timing with your existing equipment, or they can provide you with a complete timing solution, including deck harnesses, buttons, and starter. SST is fully compatible with HiTech and Team Unify, as well as Colorado, Dactronics, and Amiga touchpads. Go to superiorswimtiming.com to learn more, and be sure to tell them I sent you. Nate's come out with another awesome tool for the swimming community. It's called Swim Nerd Live, and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone, or other device. It has all the information you're looking for. Event, heat, lane, name of swimmer, times and places. One click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more. I can say, hey, I don't want to play that again. <laughs> it has been recorded. John Seaman, how you doing, mate? Good, mate. Good to see you, Hawkey. Yeah, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, thank you very much. It's a huge, huge honour for me. Oh, mate, yeah, I, don't, I don't, don't get to talk swimming too much lately. I don't know why. I mean, there's a million podcasts out there. Have people not been trying to track you down for a podcast? Yeah, well, I guess I'm a bit hard to find. I'm a bit of a mystery man. So. <laughs> you are hard to find. Um, very hard to find. But um, luckily, you've got a wife who is a little bit easier to find, and she's been amazing in setting this up for me. Um, yes, so. no, she's, she is very good. I've married the best. Maria is awesome. I love it. Um, listen, mate, let me just start by saying this. I can't quantify the impact that you had on my life. And really, if we're being honest, I can't quantify the, the impact that your swim had on Australian swimming. I mean, it is one of the most remarkable swims in, in Australian swimming history. And for those that may not know you for whatever reason, maybe my American audience or they're, they're just um, too young to know you. Um, you won the 200 Butterfly in LA 
in remarkable fashion. You broke the world record from lane six. We're going to go into it all. But like I said, I just can't quantify the impact that you had on me, mate. Um, I must have watched your swim the last 50. I must have watched it a million times in my life. And um, to, to finally be sitting here and, and talking to you, um, like I said, it's, it's a huge honor because that swim itself made me believe as an Aussie that I could do anything. And, um, and that's what you gave us, mate, honestly. Yeah, look, I mean, yeah, it's a great day in my life and uh, one I'll never forget. But as you know, it just doesn't happen on the day. There's a lot yeah. of lot of stuff goes into it beforehand leading up to it for many, many years uh, of hard work uh, enables you to get up there and, and uh, swim a good swim. Uh, but, yeah, it was, as I said, it's a day in my life I'll never forget. And, yeah, I look back now and... You know, especially uh, going back to some, I do attend a few sporting events occasionally and catch up with some of the older swimmers, even some of the current swimmers, and uh, to be still sort of recognised a bit and as one of the, the better swims that uh, Australia's been able to produce at the Olympics. Uh, I'm pretty proud of it, yeah. How come I haven't met you until now? Like, you know, I, I swam for Australia from, you know, basically 90, 95 all the way up to 2006, and I just, I just never saw you. Like, did you purposely pull back from swimming Australia? Yeah, I, I did. I did. I, uh, I had a, you know, I had a fantastic career. I went to three Olympics, and um, you know, but afterwards, I, just, I did sort of pull away from swimming and didn't really get involved with any media stuff. I, mm. I didn't go on the professional talking circuit or anything like that. And, and I actually did struggle for quite a while in finding out, you know, what I wanted to do and where I was going and. And for the rest of my life, so I, I did go through some pretty hard times for for quite a period of time there, and it's only sort of more been in the last sort of fifteen or so years um, that I've been able to sort of get myself a bit more sorted out and uh, and uh, get on the right track, so to speak. Well, maybe we'll dig into that in a second. Yeah, but first mm -hmm. of all, I, I want to kind of go back and just give us a an, an overview of where it started for you to get into swimming. Yeah, I actually started in a little uh, town up in North Queensland called Ingham, uh, which is right up in far north Queensland, and then then moved. my parents moved to Innisfail, and I won my first state championships uh, swimming for the Innisfail Red Devils. I used to get the Sunlander train down from Innisfail down to Brisbane, which would take a day and a half on a train trip uh, down, to the, down to Brisbane, and, uh, yeah, won my first state championships swimming for them. Um, and I was a good swimmer up in North Queensland and won many medals um, up in North Queensland. And then at the age of 12, my parents uh, moved out of uh, North, uh, North Queensland and my dad got a job down in Brisbane. Uh, so we moved down to Brisbane and <clears throat> I continued my swimming career as a, as a youngster, with uh, first of all, with Joe King. Uh, mm. And I was with Joe for uh, a few years and he took me to National Age Group Championships um, and then at the age of 14, there was a young Laurie Lawrence coming back into coaching. He wasn't so young, but uh, <laughs> uh, but he, he started his um, coaching career, his, his, his stage two of his coaching career again um, uh, at Chandler. Uh, and that was, I was at 14 years of age and I, I made the move over to Joe um, as a youngster and uh, started swimming with the lunatic Laurie Lawrence. And well, like, what, what was the what was the reason for the move? Because Joe's a legend himself, so why go from Joe yeah. to Laurie? Um, I just felt that uh, I needed something um, that was probably a bit more demanding on me. 
Um, Joe was, don't get me wrong, was very, very good coach um, and, you know, at the peak of his powers. But I just felt I needed something a bit more harder uh, on me, uh, especially my training and, uh, and my racing and just needed to mature a bit. I swam the National Age Group Championships when I was 14 in Perth and I won over there. And then on the way back, I swam the uh, the um, uh, Open Nationals in Adelaide on the way home. And after winning the age, I thought I was pretty cocky and pretty good. And I went to the Open Nationals and came stone motherless last. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's not so good. So I was obviously a very good age group swimmer, but I needed to toughen up a bit and... Uh, get some mental toughness about me. So, uh, yeah, we made uh, the decision to, to move over to Laurie uh, just to, to try something a bit new. I'd been with Joe for um, nearly three years or two and a half, three years, and so felt I just needed a change and, uh, yeah, moved over to Laurie. So what was it then about Laurie that clicked for you? Uh, did it click immediately uh, and um, what was it? Yeah, it, it sure did. I remember my, my first first time I ever met Laurie. Um, my mum drove me to Chandler and uh, we walked into the pool there and there's Laurie walking up and down the pool, uh, barking a few orders. And and I walked up to him and my mum introduced me to Mr Lawrence. This is uh, my son, uh, Johnny, wants to come and swim with you. And his first words to me said, son, are you hungry? <laughs> and I said, oh, no, I've had some lunch not so long ago. I'm okay. He said, not hungry for food, you idiot. Are you hungry to win? <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, I'm stepping into a different world here. And, uh, yeah, it was – it was, and it went from there. And I knew then that uh, Laurie was going to be, you know, a really good coach for me and and uh, and send me on to a path of uh, excellence that's, that I was hoping for. Did you have training partners at the time that, that were kind of at your level? Yeah, certainly did. So we had uh, a great squad. Laurie had probably one of the – you know, elite squads going around at the time, especially at that elite level. We were training uh, for the 82 Commonwealth Games. And as I said, I was only a young 15-year-old boy at this stage. And in that squad, there were the likes of uh, Neil Brooks, mm. Mike Delaney, um, Greg Fasala spent some time with us, Gillian right. uh, Collingwood, uh, Justin Lindbergh. Probably Justin was one of the best I've seen. And he was my age. There's only eight hours separating us in birthdays. And we've been racing each other since we were about the age of 12, and um, we became as thick as seas. We always roomed together on, on Australian tours, and, uh, yeah, he was he was a tough swimmer as well. And he had a, and a lot of good uh, what we call surf swimmers, and uh, and they were tough ironmen that were trying to train to, to get fit for their ironmen and um, some really good surf swimmers and Adam Sandbrook and Gary Watson and, uh, and the likes, Barry Woodger and Dean Crocker and, uh, a lot of surf guys that, that really um, pushed us to a certain point and then we we, we kept going. Uh, Michael Bowl was, was you know, Tracy Wickham, uh, you know, just a squad of just fantastic swimmers. Mate, you said tough about 10 times there. Was there anyone who made it through the program that was weak? <laughs> well, I don't know. Look, it, Laurie, Laurie was, you know, he said in a very – hard uh, uh, example to try and achieve and we worked in those days it's a lot it was a lot different to what is out out there now we started to start looking at some heart rate monitoring and and things like that there was a bob trophine who we who we used to call heart rate bob would come down three times a week and and have his little machines there to, and testing our heart rates and uh 
And yeah, so we used to, he used to come down three times a week and we'd be doing a set, you know, might be 3100s butterfly on the 130 and just trying to hold a certain pace uh, for your heart rate. And, you know, I'd, I'd sort of reach that heart rate level after about sort of four or five and he'd say, right here, you need to hold that pace. And Laurie would be saying, no, go harder, go harder. And he didn't. He hated the word of slowing down, Laurie. Everything was at full tilt, 100%. So, yeah, he was, he was, he was a tough taskmaster, but he also knew uh, sometimes when to back off. Uh, a couple of times he'd have uh, what we have get-out swims and he'd, he'd challenge the kids to do a certain thing uh, and it might be, you know, it might be a 50 kick or for me a... You know, I might have to break, you know, 27 seconds for a 50 fly kick. So, yeah, wow. we'd have to try, try and do that. And, and if I did it, then we, we got out. We got out early. So, but if we didn't do it, we always ended up finishing. I reckon probably 80% of my sessions I finished with 40, 50s butterfly. Yeah. Yeah. I did a podcast with Laura and he was telling me about that. You know, pretty much every session you'd finish mm. with 40, 50. So you just knew it was coming at the end of each workout, eh? Sure did. Shit. I mean, how tough is that? I, there, there's not a person alive that would be able to do that right now. Like, <laughs> and and if, 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 if we were feeling good, he said, oh, you're looking pretty good, we'll do them jump outs. Yeah. At Chandler Pearl. Yeah, jump outs a, on 45. A, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, that's insane. Did you, ever, did you have to deal with any injury at a young age? Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, look, I was always trying to remedy my shoulders. Obviously, swimming butterfly, uh, my shoulders got punished pretty badly. Um, had a lot of bicep tendonitis issues. Um, There's a couple of really good physios around at the time, Dorothy Foley and Victor Popov, mm. who sort of worked out that you know I was obviously developing a lot of my front and had to do a lot of stabilisation exercises um, and stretching and, and band work. Probably, you know, early on we were one of the first ones doing bands and um, all sorts of stuff. And But, yeah, we did a lot of uh, dry land stuff as well as being in the water. Um, you know, we were probably one of the first squads to really work on core strength. Like we would do 500 sit-ups and 1,000 leg lifts every day, <laughs> every day. Jesus, Laurie. Not Laurie. Time, but every day. <sighs> Oh, um, mate, unbelievable. Oh, it's just our gymnasium. Yeah. Our gymnasium kiss consisted of a very small room, probably about six meters by four meters. It had one door in it with no windows, no air conditioning, and a whole bunch of metal bars that Laurie <laughs> went down to the car wreckers and chopped up a bunch of car axles. Now, no one knew how much they weighed, they're all different sizes, different lengths, different thicknesses. <laughs> So it was always a race to get into the gym first so you could try and pick the lightest bar. So whoever was last in the gym got the heaviest bar. <laughs> oh, mate, that's incredible. I love it. Um, but was was Laurie planned? Like did you know what was going to happen each day or did you come in with just the fear of God thinking like what are we doing today? How's he going to tear us apart today? Or did you kind of know what each day was kind of planned out to be? No, well, look, Laurie certainly had a plan. He 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 wasn't the he wasn't the goose. He he knew how he knew we needed to work hard yep. and knew uh, how to break the week down. Yes, we did three heart rate sessions a week. We would do some speed work on certain days. We would mm. look, and then that had to be flexible because depending on on the sessions that you were doing, you could rock up and yeah, if you weren't feeling well, if your if your shoulders were bad or whatever, uh, a bit sore or a bit tight, or you weren't. 
we'd always find something to work on. It might be the legs, okay, well, let's do a hard kick set. Mm. Um, nothing for us to do, you know, 15 100s kick on 120 um, just for some, some fun. I, I I had a bit of a sore. I had a, hurt my wrist uh, playing footy once, which Laurie wasn't too happy about. So he made me just doing vertical kick in the diving pool at Chandler. And I was, I'd do that for, you know, half an hour or, you know, equivalent of, you know, maybe 30 100s. Um, you know, I'd do them, you know, I'd kick for a minute and then have a rest for 20 or 30 seconds, then kick for a minute and do that 30 or 40 times, um, as well as other stuff. And then he said, oh, you're doing that pretty too easy. So he started giving me metal bars to hold up. <laughs> so, so, yeah, we, we, you know, we, it was always, uh, there, were, there was a plan to, our, to what we were doing. Um, it wasn't just get in there and swim uh, and swim aimlessly and anyone can can get an athlete fit. It doesn't yep. take, yep. A, a, you know, a genius to get someone fit. Just get them to swim miles and miles and miles and you'll eventually get fit. Um, the, the trick is being able to swim fast as well, mm. being fit yeah. and being yeah. able to swim fast. And then the really good ones can actually get you to swim faster the day you have to. That's that's the real science and, and the good coaches know. And, and you know, the really, really good coaches know how to get – Continue that over several days. I mean, how right, Phelps yeah. kept doing it was just that's just that's phenomenal. So, in the lead up to '84, uh, I was I was watching a video earlier where it said um, the year before you were 25th in the world in the yep. 200 butterfly. Um, so, you know, obviously a lot of things clicked the year of you know the Olympics. Yes. You know, you you probably grew a little bit. You you. You're hitting your peak yep. fitness, you know, things with Laurier clicking. Um, mm. So did you feel, did you have a sense in the lead up to the 84 trials that, you know, you were going to make this team? Yeah, I, I certainly did. Look, I, 1982, I was, I just, I'd made the Commonwealth Games team when I was 15. I was 16 when I actually swam at those Commonwealth Games in Brisbane. I, I finished third and went 201 and it was actually a poor swim for me. Um, I, I probably could have gone two double O at the age of sixteen, um, and then uh, you know. So then for the next two years, that's all Laurie and I worked on. I said, right, I've got two years to, you know, to really uh, knuckle down and and uh, and try and win at the Olympics. So everything was geared towards you know getting fit and racing hard at the Olympics. When I turned up to the trials for those eighty four Olympics, I was swimming really really well, and I won the trials. Fairly easily. I remember turning with 50 to go and had a bit of a look around. I could see I was in front. I was pretty cruisy. And I probably could have easily gone maybe a 158 or 159 at our trials, but I didn't need to. Uh, I just sort of went, you know, swam through, and I think I went 200 or 201 or something and, and won. And, but, yeah, I guess I guess that would have announced me a, a little bit more if I'd have mm. gone, you know, that, that quick uh, leading into the Olympics. So it was a bit of of a misnomer that, you know, I'd, I'd improved so much in such a short period of time. I was already there at that level, um, thereabouts, and I didn't rest too much. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I even shaved down uh, at our trials. So, um, yeah, I, right, I, I yeah. was pretty I was confident where I was at. Yeah, I was going to say you must have been pretty confident, you know, and, and it, it would seem as though Laurie, you know, at that stage probably wouldn't have rested you that much to get on that team and it's a really smart thing, and I think that's the thing that, like you talked about, that separates really good coaches is they're not preparing you 
to be an Olympian. They're preparing you to be an mm. Olympic medalist. That's the difference between the great coaches, right? You know, so Laurie yeah, saw it as right. a stepping stone, like, hey, we're qualifying yeah. and we're going to the Olympics to get on the podium. You know, that's the big difference. That's yeah, that's correct. And look, and that showed through even after my heat swim. Uh, Laurie was so he was so pissed off after my heat swim. Um, you know, because I, I swam, you know, I, I swam my best time at, at that point in time. I went one fifty nine when I got, and Pablo just touched me out in the second last heat. And uh, I remember turning with fifty to go, and I was actually in front. And I one of the very few times that I've actually heard the crowd in swimming because in LA being an outdoor pool, it was just fantastic. But there was massive crowds and these massive big stands and. Uh, it was just uh, really, really um, uh, awe-inspiring to swim in something like that. Yeah. And yeah, I, I heard the crowd every time I took a breath. I said, oh, Pablo must be catching me. And he's, uh, he sort of caught me with 25 metres to go. And we swam in the wall together and he just touched me out. We both went 159, which was the first and second fastest times with only one more heat to go. So I pretty well knew I was going to make the final. Uh, and then I watched the last final and, and uh, Pablo and, um, sorry, uh, Rafael Vidal and, and Michael Gross went faster. So we were, I was into uh, lane six, which I was pretty happy with. Um, yeah. And then I walk over to the warm-down pool and, and Laurie is absolutely berating me. He's <laughs> given me the hardest time. Saying, what happened to you? Why did you slow down? We've been training for four years and da-da-da-da-da. Why did you let Pablo go past you and da da and I'm just smiling and grinning and 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 uh, and he's going, what are you so happy about? I know it was your best time, but you should have done better and da, da, da. I said, Laurie, I was going easy. I can go a lot faster tonight. <laughs> so <laughs> then he's going, you beauty. We're going to do this later. I said, Laurie, sit down, shut up and tell no one. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I knew I, had, I was going to swim fast that night. I just didn't know how fast. I, I knew, you know, uh, I was there. I, I was swimming really, really well. Yeah, but I understand you're also a student of the sport, and so you knew mm. your competition going into this games. You knew who Mikael Gross was. You knew the size yeah. of this man. You knew probably Pablo Morales and the talent mm -hmm. that he had. Yeah. So you knew your competitors. So, look, the first time I walked into the ready room at the Olympic Games <laughs> in 2000, it's different, right? Like you, you've, yeah. you've heard of these people, but now they're in the same room as you, and it's just mm. different. Like all the training yeah. that you've done can still go out the window in that circumstance because all of a sudden you're faced with Mikhail Gross, who's six foot seven. How tall are you? Uh, at that time, I was about five foot ten. Five, five, ten, right? So, and here's this guy that's towering over you. I've seen pictures of it. Yeah. He's he's a monster. So you walk into a room for the first time and see this mm. man. And then you hear the crowd, like you said, which is which mm. takes your breath away. So how did yeah. all this stuff not overwhelm you? Yeah, look, it's something you for your first time you can never prepare yourself for. Uh, you right. try and right. look. Uh, I, 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 as I said, as you said, I'm a little bit probably a little bit different to maybe some guys out there that race stuff. I loved racing. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I had to train, but in, uh, I wasn't. I didn't love training, but I had to train as hard as I possibly could so that I could race as hard as I could. I loved racing. Uh, mm. There's nothing better than standing behind the blocks with the best athletes in the world and, and racing them. Um, you're right, I did study my opposition. I did understand how they swam their races and I devised a race strategy <coughs> that would, <coughs> oh, excuse me, that would enable me to, you know, to beat them. So that race strategy was always to finish stronger than they did. 
I didn't have the early speed that those guys did. So my my race strategy was always that back end speed. In order to do that, I had to be fitter than anybody else in the race. In order to be able to swim 29 seconds at the last lap of a, of a 200 butterfly and still go 157, it takes a lot of fitness. And, and that's what I worked on. I was always working on because I knew Gross would come home at about a 32. So 31, 32. That's what, how his splits always worked out. And so I knew I had to come home in 29 um, to, to beat him. And that's, that's, that was always what I was working towards. So you're right, in the marshalling room was, was you know, you can never prepare yourself for what happens in there. Right. And it, you, you, you do, there are, you know, your local meets that you go to. But when you go to the Olympics and, you, and you've only got the eight finalists, mm-hmm. with no coaches, no officials, no one else, and you're there for a 15, 20 minutes, Mm-hmm. And Gross is is he can be very intimidating. He doesn't say anything, but he stands there and he stretches his arms and 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 looks you know basically says, "Look at me, I'm the best." And he was, yeah. you know, look, fantastic swimmer, absolutely legend of our sport, you know. Um, and you know he 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 he's very imposing. You've just got to take that out of your mind and just say, "No, I've worked harder than you. I've done things in training you haven't done, and I'm my I'm gonna I'm gonna win." You might be six foot seven, but you'll put your pants on one leg at a time, same as I do. So you can be beat. Man, you might be a legend, but I did hear that every time he stood up next to you on the blocks, you beat him every time. Isn't that right? That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we raced many times. Even even uh, in four years later, I, I only got to swim the 100 butterfly in 88. But uh, yeah, I finished fourth. He finished fifth. So. <laughs> and he must have hated you. He must have been looking at me like <laughs> yeah. this little to beat me again <laughs> yeah well, look one of my one of my favorite swims i ever did was at world uni games in um kobe in japan in 1985 and i raced both uh gross and matt beyondy in the 100 butterfly and gross is six foot seven and beyondy who's six foot six and i was able to beat mm-hmm. them both in the 100 butterfly and win the gold and on the dice i'm the shortest bloke even though i'm on the one number one dice it was, Mate, yeah, it's that unbelievable. Was, I've seen photos of you next to these guys. I mean, they're towering over. Not and not just height wise. I mean, their length. And you're talking about butterfly, and you need length in butterfly. These guys had had it in spades over you. So, yeah. um, Laurie always uh, he's got this famous saying. You know, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the it's the size of the what's the saying? Fight. Yeah, it's a, not the size of the, the, size dog, of the, fight the dog. It's the fight and the dog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, that kind of comes you know, that from comes you, right? Yeah, that comes down to that ability to race, and um, you know, not 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 succumbing to the theory that you know um, that you know nobody can be is is everybody's unbeatable. I mean, if you work, if you want to put in the hard work, and you want to drive and um, and just believe in yourself, you've got to believe in yourself uh, first mm. of all. But then you have to base that belief on something. Anybody can go out and say they're going to go do something, but if you don't do something about it to base that belief on, um, it's really really hard. You know, I, every time I stood behind the blocks, I believed I could win and, and I had to have base that belief on something and it was generally through my hard work. Uh, I knew I had a really, really strong kick. My kick was probably the strongest part of my, my swimming. Yeah, you're right. I didn't have the wingspan, but I had the drive with the legs that uh, probably none mm-hmm. of them had. Yeah, I was going to say that. It, it must have been. How, how did you know the training itself? Like we didn't have the internet or you didn't have the internet back then in terms of the sharing that we have now, you kind of know what people are doing these days. Um, mm. Back then it was kind of like a guess. Like, I don't know what that person's yeah. doing. How did you, how did you know confidently that 
what you did when you looked to the left and right, like Laurie says, mm. that those guys did not work as hard as you that day? You don't know 100% that's true, but you just know in yourself. Um, right. And right. you just know, look, oh, as I said, and you, and you, like Laurie used to go and he'd talk to other coaches and, and, and he would be, he'd be saying, oh, well, look, these are the sort of sets that John would do. And, and, right. and some of the coaches would say, geez, I've never heard of anybody doing that. Yeah. Um, you know, things like, you know, I'd do 4100s and I'd swim them an easy freestyle down and do a sprint butterfly back and, you know, trying to, and I'd average about, you know, 27. I got, I think the best, I did it about half a dozen times as I was preparing for the Olympics, and each time I got better and better and better. But they're only on the 130, so you can average 27 for maybe the first 10 is pretty easy. The next 10 gets a bit harder, but then when you get past 20 and you're still trying and you're still swimming 27 seconds for a 50 fly, um, yeah, you know you're in a, you know you're swimming pretty fast and you're pretty fit. So, uh, yeah, and and sort of sets like that, uh, Laurie used to talk to you know a few of the coaches around, and and uh, they'd be going. They're pretty impressed with it. So you knew you were doing some some special stuff. Uh, when you were holding, how, how, how did he? How did you um, manage to um, find competition? Because there's no one that can hang with you in practice. So from what I understand, Laurie would put slower kids to go f- before you, and <laughs> yeah. you kind of chase yes. them down. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of a lot of times. Yeah, you'd. You, know, you you might have someone leave you know five ten fifteen seconds in front of you, and you have to mow them down. Mm. Uh, basically, just get around them. Some and some of these little kids that he put there in front of us, they didn't want to be passed either. So it was tough sometimes. It was really really tough. But, yeah. Uh, what, but, kind of, what was the tape on like? How did he how did he rest you for the the two fly in eighty four? Taper. No, we, I, I was. I must, I must admit, I, I sort of, um, I was forced to do a taper uh, before 84 because I did get sick. Before we went into LA, we, we had a training camp in Sydney and I was swimming pretty well, I was training well there. And then about three days beforehand, I got, I got a bit of a cold, a bit of a flu. And then mm. international flight over, we landed into San Francisco and had a training camp uh, at Stanford Uni there. And for that whole week or 10 days we were there, I was swimming really poorly because I was ill, um, trying to get over, you know, everything. And and so I was swimming, you know, not swimming many Ks. I was going backwards and swam the Santa Clara meet, I think it was, and I think Pablo and Anthony Moss beat me pretty badly. And everyone's sort of going, oh, you're going pretty bad, John. So I don't think too many people wanted to know me. And I sort of left over to my own devices just to try and recover and and, and, and get better. And then we flew down to LA about a week before the Olympics started. And our first training session actually wasn't in the main Olympic pool. We went to the old Coliseum pool from the 1932 mm-hmm. Olympics. And I dove in there and I felt unreal. I, I just felt everything clicked, everything. I just felt on top of the water. I could push off and go a 50 fly in any time I wanted to, at any pace I wanted to. And I could hold it for as long as I wanted you know, just felt really good in the water, sitting high, uh, all those things. And and uh, all of a sudden, Laurie must have timed me when he came running over and said, do you know what you're just doing? And I said, yeah, I know, Laurie. He says, that's looking good. That's looking good. So, yeah, that's, yeah, so that was part of it all. I mean, you know, we, 
yeah, that was, I guess, a, a bit luck, a bit luck on my part. I did get ill and, and had to rest and rest, and it's probably what my body needed. You know, after many years of hard, hard work, uh, it needed that amount of time to rest and get ready to race. Right. Yeah. Um. I mean, uh, the uh, it sounds like generally when you when you get sick, Grant Hackett used to train harder than any man I'd ever seen yeah. before. And he, he used to get sick yeah. a lot in taper, mm. and, and it kind of actually helped him i think you know like he'd, he'd get sick have to have a couple of days off he'd lay in bed and he'd come back and he'd feel incredible yeah. kind of like what you're talking about and start to bust out these crazy times so i think i think people that just work themselves into the ground like that um hmm. you know when that shift in taper happens that sickness kicks in a little bit yeah you kind of need that reset that that rest but um but mate, I know that feeling. I haven't. I didn't feel it a lot, but um, I, I know the <laughs> feeling when you when you hit the water. Sometimes you're like, "Oh, I feel incredible. No one's going to touch me in yeah. this meet." So yeah, it's yeah. a really nice feeling to have for sure. But um, well, let's talk about the race itself then, because I want to. Mm -hmm. I want to kind of go over it. Um, you know, uh, they said they said some interesting things uh, of you standing behind the blocks. They said John Stephen, seventeen year old, bit of an outsider. So they didn't really mm -hmm. give you a lot of credit. Um, there, there was a lot of talk, obviously, with Pablo was in lane three and, and Gross was in lane four. Gross was the world record holder. Um, and he'd already broken two world records at that at that games in 84 before the 200 butterflies. So he'd had a pretty good um, games already. Um, but then they said something interesting about you. It said They said, don't count out any Australian from, from medal contention in these games. Um, what was it about the Aussies? Mm -hmm back then where it was kind of like uh, the rest of the world knew that they were going to have a fight? Yeah, we, we really had – it was a great team we had. For, you know, it was one of the first uh, teams uh, where, which went away and we all we, – we were all united in swimming well. And we were winning right. medals um, <clears throat> and especially some younger guys, Robbie Woodhouse, Justin Lemberg, right. both – we're all the same age, 17 going on 18, won Olympic bronze medals. Um, you know, Shelly Pearson swam great, you know, bronze medal. You know, Sue Landell, silver medal. Um, Glenn Berenger, silver medal. So we were, we were doing these great performances and, and swimming really, really well. Um, you know, the men's mean machine were, were, you know, silver medals. Mark Stockwell, you know, silver medals. So as a team, we were performing really, really, really well. Uh, 200 Butterfly was on the second last day, so... Uh, you know, as I said, the work, you know, everyone could see on the pool deck that the Australian team uh, was doing something right and we were on the improve. We just hadn't had that breakthrough and that, that gold medal performance. Um, you know, but many, uh, many believe that Stocky should have won the 100 freestyle, but it didn't happen. Uh, so, you know, we, we came through and um, had some fantastic performances. And I think that's where that comment probably came from. We were, as a team, performing really, really well. Um, so, yeah, standing behind the blocks. And, look, I did let a few sneaky people know that I was swimming fast. And after right. the heats, they could see that I was going pretty easy uh, and I, I, was, I was just cruising along. Um, and so the, I think they knew that I was, I was going to swim fast. Um, uh, a couple of guys in the team knew that, so they weren't quite sure how fast. But, yeah, I was pretty confident of you know, I knew I was going to win a medal. Um, that wasn't uh, in doubt. It was just a matter of what colour it was going to be, and I was hoping my strategy uh, was going to be good enough um, to win it. 
Yeah, man, if you had have told me your strategy before the race, I probably would have tried to talk you out of it. I mean, <laughs> I had you, I was looking at the video, I had you at about one and a half body lengths behind at the 100, and I had you at a full mm. two body lengths behind at the 150. I mean, that's probably a little too much room to give yeah. the, the yes. current world record holder two body lengths. And, the, and these are two of his body lengths, by the way. He's six foot seven. Mm. So, I mean, you had, you had given him plenty of room. I was watching that, mm. that you know, that, into the last wall and thinking to myself, there's no, I know the outcome of this race. There's no way he catches him, you know, but I still knew, <laughs> but uh, it's just like, yeah. did you feel at that stage, were you thinking anything at that stage kind of leading into the 150 wall? No, nah, look, obviously when I see the video of the of replay now, I didn't realize I was that far behind. I didn't, right. that wasn't always a, a strategy. A lot of it is on feel. And uh, right. when you're swimming, I didn't really, I wasn't a very much a, a time person. I, I didn't really um, think, okay, I'm going to swim, you know, this time, that time or, or whatever. But I, I was very much a, a racer and a feeler and I knew where mm -hmm. Rafael Vidal was in lane five beside me. I was just right. monitoring him because uh, I knew he'd be there or thereabouts. And um, <clears throat> when I turned, I probably got a really good turn for me on that third wall because I, I, I built into that third 50 feeling really, really strong. And, and I said, right, yeah, this is me now. With about 10, 10 metres into the wall, and off the wall, that's when I knew I, I, I needed to make some ground up. So I got a really, really good turn off that um, third turn. I knew I, I knew I was catching Rafael Vidal uh, beside me. And as I went past him with probably about 30 metres to go, I thought, do I have a look and see how I'm going? And as you know, the cardinal sin in swimming is you don't look. You're, mm. you're aware of, of the people either side of you in the lanes, but, you know, you, you, you don't really go and have a look to see how you're going. So Unless you're a Chad LeClaire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, he, he does breathe to one side. He, he, he can check out everybody on, on his left. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so, but I, I thought, you know, and it's amazing how many things flash through your brain in, in split seconds and, you know, you think about, do I have, do I have a look, do I have a look? And I said, no, 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 I don't want to have a look and see I'm in front. I go, oh, what do I do now? And, and I thought if I have a look and see I'm way behind, I'm going to go, oh, I've blown this. What a bugger. So all I thought about then was getting on the wall in the full stroke. So, and in butterfly, as you know, you know, when you're swimming strong and you're feeling well, you can generally judge where you are on the wall with it, with, with about 15 metres to go. You can know whether you're going to finish on a full stroke or if you can adjust your stroke a little bit leading into it so that you do get that full stroke finish. And that's really, really hard to do when the grand piano is sitting on your back and, and, you, and you're just trying to get onto the wall any way you can. But because I was feeling really, really strong, I, I could do that. And I, and I just adjusted just a tiny little bit, probably with about 15 to go, to make sure that I, I finished on that full stroke um, because, yeah, I, I was just feeling really, really good and, and just knew I was powering home. Um, so, yeah, and, and, yeah, I really just concentrated on getting on that wall. Yeah, at the end of a, a a really good horse race in the straight, mate, they they take the whip out and start whipping him, and and the the horse is kind of accelerating. And that's kind of what it looked like with you. It looked like Laurie was on your back, and he was just whipping yeah. you, and you were just you were just taking off. But there's also a feeling, and there's a sense in swimming too, and and we know this as swimmers, and and I think, you know, if you're in the lead of a race and there's someone pulling up behind you you can feel them no matter what yeah. and if you're if you're that person back there you can feel yourself pulling in on someone 
So whether yeah. you looked or not, I bet you you had a sense that you would pull on these guys back for sure. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, you're right. I didn't. I knew. I didn't specifically look, but I knew yeah. I was coming home over the top of them, and I knew. I didn't know I'd won, but I knew I'd. I was going to touch the wall, in front or with them, and I knew it was going to be close. Um, but yeah, I, I, you're right. I didn't specifically look, but I knew I, I had them in my sights, and they were they were they were. It was going to be close. Um, touched the wall, and then I, I. By the time I lifted my head up, I saw there was, you know, one or two of us on the wall, uh, mainly me and Gross, and then. Uh, I knew, yep, I'm there, and then I had to turn around and see the scoreboard at the other end of the pool, and all I saw was this one flashing beside my name, which meant I'd won. And so, yeah, it was just a just a fantastic feeling, and just so many emotions just flood through your body. And um, you know, and I thought about everybody that had helped me get there, and you know, my mum, my dad, um, Laurie, you know, all my teammates that I'd swum with and, and uh, everything, uh, you know, any, everybody that had helped me get to that, that level, all my coaches I'd had throughout my career and, uh, yeah, so it's just that great feeling of, of, uh, of knowing that, you know, you, you know, everything you'd worked for uh, you'd have been able to accomplish. Maybe uh, in, in practices for me uh, as a coach, I would always try and get my athletes to practice the feeling of winning and, and celebrating. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a celebration as good as yours, mate. You're rolling, <laughs> rolling all over the lane line. I mean, it's one of the greatest celebrations in Olympic history. It gets me choked up every time I see it because it's just like you said, it's pure emotion coming out of you. And, yeah. and I think it's just like you're just overcome with like what the hell did I just do then, you know? It was, mm, it was incredible, yeah. wasn't it? It's funny, you know, you, you mentally like you mentally rehearse. I mentally rehearsed everything about the race, about how I was going to swim it and where and how I was going to win it and finish it. But one thing you never mentally rehearse is how am I going to celebrate? That's not something <laughs> I ever did. So well, that was know. all just <laughs> that was just pure off the cuff. I didn't know what to do. So yeah, it was brilliant, yeah. mate. It was brilliant. Yeah. Um, like I said, it inspired me as a young kid. Um, you, you know, I wasn't much younger than you, but I was younger than you, um, and and it inspired me greatly. Uh, I mean, that that win, that the last ten meters, and then that celebration on the lane line has stuck mm. with me my whole life, mate. It's just it's made such Thank a you. huge impact on me. Um, you you have no idea. I mean, and, and I'm trying to express it, and I can't even express it. Like. The amount of times that I've watched that last ten meters, and the amount of times I've watched that celebration, and the and the the you know, you want to be that person. Like I've wanted to be you all my life as a swimmer. I wanted that feeling. I wanted to be that guy who came over the top and shocked the world and celebrated like that. And and the fact that you're an Aussie made it just made me so proud. You know, so I made made it like I'm just I can't even express how big of an impact it had on me, mate. Well, thank you, Brett. Look, I, I hope that you know you. That through your passion, obviously, you have for swimming and, and you, you can get other kids, other athletes to do it as well. And that, that's the thing about it. You know, I'm an old guy now and, um, you know, I want to see other young kids get out there and achieve their dreams and achieve their goals. And uh, if I if I can help in any way or a part of it, in whether it's only 1% or 2% or whatever it is, you know, I love seeing kids and especially young kids getting up there and having a go and achieving their goals, you know, and their dreams. And, you know, I always say everyone has their own Olympics in life. It may not necessarily be swimming 200 butterfly. For me, it was. 
but it could be just being, and I say the Olympics is about you being the best person you can be. It's about getting out there every day and giving it everything and make, leaving no stone unturned in, in becoming a better person. That may mean of being a better teacher, better father, better mother, better doctor, better mechanic. You know, it's about you being the best you can be. That's what the Olympics is to me. Um, I was able to do it on um, on that particular day in the 200 Butterfly, and I try and treat every day as, you know, as me becoming a better person. And, you know, we all try and do that, I think. Um, I don't know how to address this or just attack it, but um, look, you don't beat a guy like him uh, or, or a field like that, let's say. The talent mm-hmm. that they had and the, and the training that they had done you know, a five foot nine, five foot ten guy doesn't beat those guys unless they have done some crazy, crazy work, right? Crazy mm-hmm. work. So, has yep. that, did that work that you did, did that have a negative effect on your life? Like, um, uh, how did it? I mean, it's hard to address, right? Yeah, look, it is. Look, it, it's not for everybody. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's why uh, they don't give Olympic gold medals out to everybody. Um, you know, some people in Laurie's programs couldn't handle the hard work and, 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 and you know, obviously didn't stay with Laurie and couldn't cope with it. Um, but that's not to say Laurie was a bad coach. That was his method of coaching. And, that's, sure. yeah. and it worked for me. It, yeah. re- it really did. We clicked. Um, who's, whether I would have uh, won an Olympic gold medal staying with Joe King, I don't know. I, I certainly believe I would have gone to the Olympics. Whether I've been an Olympic gold medalist, maybe a different kettle of fish. Right. Um, so sometimes I think there's also a little bit of an element of luck. Sometimes it happens. And I got lucky that I joined forces with Laurie at the right time for me um, and it worked for me. But, you know, you're right. The hard work is was his method and it worked for me. It doesn't necessarily work for everybody. Some people need some, a little bit more... Um, Cajoling's not the right word, but uh, but they need a bit more finesse, I guess, in their training techniques. And, you know, certainly you look at what's happening now. The guys now, what they're doing in training is completely different to what I did. You know, their their training speed is 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 phenomenal. This, you know, they're on world record paces in training. You know, doing a you know, and just swimming a lot faster in training what we did. Um, obviously swimming a lot less Ks, but they're, they're doing it at a lot better. Uh, sports science has enabled them to do that and, and and some of the stuff. But, yeah, it was a different era back then. And, uh, and you know, I, I often say, look, I, I wouldn't change anything. I, I swim in a great era. I, you know, we trained hard, we raced hard, and we played hard, and it was good fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I do um, remember stories of that era, you know, of, of all that, you know, for sure. <laughs> We were lucky there was no social media back those days. <laughs> I've heard them all, mate. Um, you guys did. That uh, was awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the work that you did is just incredible. Um, you, you just can't coach athletes like that these days. And, and athletes no. are, are dealing with uh, – there seems to be a lot more mental health awareness. Um, mm-hmm. Was that something that was even considered no. or talked about back in the day? No, really not. No, not in the 80s. It was very, very seldom even talked about. Even, nobody even knew what uh, depression or anxiety or um, or any of these things were. You know, we, uh, you know, it was all just, you know, go, go, go. Um, 
yeah, th th those sort of things are just, uh, you know, really have only become more prevalent lately. And as we learn more, uh, and that's what it is, it's, it's a learning, it's an education um, that we're finding out about, you know, these sort of things. But, yeah, look, there, there obviously were situations and, and cases of that back then. It hasn't just all of a sudden reared its head, but we just didn't know about it. And, mm. um, or, you know, it, we just weren't educated enough about it to know about it. How do you think then we balance it? How do we get um, an athlete who can feel safe and secure but also do the work necessary to be a champion? Yeah, that's, you know, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? How and, 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 and the good coaches, know they, they seem to have the formula. Um, uh, they, you know, they, they can recognise, and that's part of being a very good coach now. You have to recognise mm -hmm signs and uh, that are that are there by the by the athletes that they are struggling uh, with something and they need to act on that and not ignore it and and they need to and if they have the ability or they need to find somebody that has that can help them and has the, the ability to be able to uh, to help them through yeah. the situation so I think I think nowadays yes it's it's important that coaches are aware of it they can recognise the signs. They're educated enough to to understand uh, what is happening uh, and can see the signs, and and not just not just automatically think that ah oh, you know you're not tough enough or, or or whatever. It's you know sometimes there are genuine issues going on. The good coaches will will ask the question. You know they should be asking questions. What's going on? You know in your life and and. And, you know, Laurie, you know, as tough as he was, out of the pool, we were a great team. We would do socially do things together. Mm. We'd go water skiing together. We'd go surfing together. We'd go out to the movies. We'd, you know, we'd have dinners together, even as a squad. Right. Um, so it wasn't just, you know, the eight hours we did in the pool each day. And there was also, you know, a lot of social activities as well. And that, that, and I think sometimes you can see when people are out of their their training environment, and you see them in a social environment. You can you can see different aspects of people. I think sometimes, and you can sometimes pick up on things that maybe not be quite right. Right. So why why is it then that you push back from swimming so hard? We we kind of talked about this earlier. You kind of withdrew from swimming a little bit. Why did you did you just struggle? With your identity at that, you know, who am I? I kind of yeah, I, I did, I did. And uh, look, uh, it was really, really hard because I had these great skills from swimming and, you know, the work ethic and hard work and dedication and whatever. Obviously, spending all that amount of time, I didn't, you know, I didn't have a formal degree um, from university right. to, to go into a profession. I didn't even know what profession I wanted to be in. I thought, you know. And I did lots of different things. I was a builder's labourer for a while and, you know, did all sorts of things just to try and make some money. And But I always struggled to know how do I apply what I've what I've, I've learnt in, in my swimming and sporting career into real life. And, you know, there, once you stop swimming, there's no – back in those days, there wasn't the programs I think that are available now that <clears throat> you can sit down and talk to somebody and say – Hey, what 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 do I do now? Where where do I go? Um, and yeah, I struggled with that. I struggled. Uh, 
understanding where I where I sat in the world and what I was going to do. And, um, yeah, it, it, it was a bit of a struggle for a while there. Uh, luckily, I found a really, really good girl. And you did. Sort of me yeah. out. You did, yeah. Uh, and we got married. You, That's been you great ever up, since. You ended up uh, meeting her in a water polo pool, is that right? Did, yes, up in Darwin, uh, in Northern Territory of Australia, and uh, I was spending some time up there, and, and, yeah, I was playing mixed water polo, and we met in a water polo <laughs> pool, and, um, yeah, it sort of happened. That's awesome, mate. I love it. So I guess the, you know, back – if you were to win a gold medal now in the Turner Butterfly and break the world record, you're almost instantly a millionaire. Back in 84, that really wasn't the case, I guess, hey? No, certainly not. No, look, I was fortunate enough to get a little bit of money through some sponsorship that enabled me to continue swimming. I was still living at home with my mum and dad. Um, you know, we still had bills to pay and, uh, you know, I, I was eating mum out of house and home, the amount I was eating. Um, unfortunately, I didn't stop doing that after I was swimming. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, look, and you know, we were, I wasn't part of any uh, programs that you know, if I wanted to travel overseas uh, internationally to compete at something like a Canada Cup or or whatever, um, that an Australian team wasn't going to. I had to pay my own way. Um, so obviously, when you're on the Australian team at, at, at major competitions, paying backs and and common games and things like that. Yes, you're all looked after. But, you know, there was a couple of times we travelled. I wasn't part of the Institute of Sport back then. I was, you know, because I wanted to train with Laurie. And we, a couple of times we went over and raced at Canada Cup meets and we'd tag along with the Institute of Sport team because they were sending their, their swimmers over there. But we'd, we'd pay our own way. Um, and so all those things, you know, they, they cost money. And, uh, but, yeah, that's what it – so, yeah, no, I certainly didn't get rich out of swimming. <laughs> Per se, but um, I think I, I I got a lot more out of life. Yeah. Now you you have kids now. Do yes. Yep. Do they know Dad was an Olympic champion and have they yes, watched the they race? Do. <laughs> they do. They do. They don't watch it too often. I I try not to to uh, show them too often. But uh, I just have that on uh, repeat as they come in the door every day. <laughs> <from mine. laughs> no, no. They look they're, and look. They're 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 swimming at the moment. They're enjoying it. They're they're uh, nine and ten and. Uh, enjoying their swimming, they only swim three times a week, and uh, and enjoying it. They're also playing a bit of basketball and play a bit of touch footy, and so doing a bit of everything. So we'll see where they go. I mean, you know, they're, they're both very um, sporty minded. I guess is is the best way to say it. Uh, they're talented in their own their own right. Now, um, how did you get involved in uh, Australian water polo? Yeah, that, that came about, uh, as I said, up in Darwin. I got involved with Australian country water polo and, and a very good friend of mine, John Fox, um, who played for Australia for many, many years and and uh, eventually became the national head coach. He convinced me to start getting involved with teams and taking teams away. And, uh, yeah, my first uh, team I took away, I took away Australian University Games team over to Izmir, Turkey. And um, while I was over there, I then... Um, <clears throat> Uh, toured around uh, Europe a little bit and spent some time in Italy and in uh, Florence or Frenze with a uh, with a water polo team there, Gianni De Magistri's team, and uh, yeah, so we just used to go down to training. I'd watch how they train and do things, and and then um, uh, got a call uh, from the 2007 organising committee to see if I'd be involved, like to be involved with the 2007 uh, World Champs. 
and uh, went through an interview process and became the competition manager for the 2007 uh, World Champs for water polo. Wow. And so flew back and, and uh, ran that for FINA, and that was an interesting exercise to, to see the dynamics of FINA at, at its best and, uh, and the TWPC and how it works, and it was, it was really interesting and it was a uh, fantastic experience. To be part of that and organising that uh, that world champs and and continued on taking teams away and um, I was fortunate enough to take a, a uni games team away to Belgrade and where the men's team we actually won the gold medal and it was a fantastic experience we beat we're in uh, Serbia and we beat first of all beat Serbia in Serbia in the semi final and then wow. went on to beat Croatia in the final. Wow. Um, one of the men's, you know, so it was just a great, great feeling to, you know, that was uh, 2007 uh, over there and that was, a, you know, really, really good. Then I sort of um, uh, was in Melbourne at the time and, and we came up here to run, run our own business and start running swimming pools. So I sort of dropped out of water polo for, for a period of time. I was trying to get build up a, you know, a learn to swim business and a swimming pool business up here and, uh, for a few years and only a couple of years ago, Foxy got in touch with me again and asked me to get involved with the current um, junior teams. And uh, so, yeah, I'm currently working with a, with a couple of teams, the Bourne 202s and the Bourne 204s, 2004s and 2002 teams. Mm. Um, so, yeah, preparing them for their upcoming world champs. Awesome. That's great stuff, mate. Uh, that's uh that's fulfilling too to be able to give back in in a way right mm. like you know it, yeah. it feels good like I, I i'm a coach too and it just feels good to give back to the next generation of up-and-comers it's very fulfilling it does yeah it really is and look you know while you know okay i, I understand water polo i know how it's played versus i know what it takes to win and, and and sort of where you need to be at and and the things that you need to do so i talk to the you know foxy obviously has the more technical side of things of the game but i talk to them about attitudes and approaches and what you need to do with training and preparing yourself and and things like that and fitness levels you need to be at um so yeah i think we make a pretty good combination uh you know with the young boys and, and trying to trying to mold them and, and understanding you know what levels you you need to be at and where you need to be at and both physically and, and mentally fitness wise and also with your skills uh where you need to be at so i think yeah it works well for us good stuff mate a um, couple last things. Yep. What, what kind did you know Duncan Armstrong was going to do what he did uh, from lane six in, in 88? Did you see that coming? I did, yeah. Yeah, having trained with Duncan leading up to up to um, one of those uh, games in 88, I, I saw, I seen the work that he put in and I knew he was there or thereabouts. Um, so, yeah, I, I knew he was going to do a great swim. I just wasn't sure how good. You never, never know these things. Why are you? You can be extremely confident, and then and you, and you should be obviously standing behind the blocks. But you just never quite know. You you believe in yourself, and you believe in the work you've done, and and you know you can do it. But uh, I, I knew Duncan was was ready to race well. I knew he'd put in the work, and I knew he was swimming fast. So yeah, I I could see it coming. Um, the gold medal was just a great bonus, you know. I knew I knew he was going to get a medal. I just wasn't sure what kind, what colour it was going to be, but. It was a great swim. I, I remember um, walking past and I knew where the mastering room was and I there was sort of a door there and I walked past and I just opened the door and I just said, oh, good luck, Dunk. And both um, Gross and Beyondy looked at me and then they've looked at Duncan. 
I oh, just stuck it in the heads. There you go. And they're like, shit, not another one. <laughs> Maybe, um, I don't know. You never know these things. I don't know. Mate, what was the, what's the last thing Laurie Lawrence says to, to his swimmers or to you? What, did he, what was the last thing he said to you before you went out and did that phenomenal swim? Um, yeah, I had to sort of calm him down a bit and I just said, Laurie, look, it's all right. I've, I'm, I'm in control here. I'm, I'm, I think we've got a good race plan. But he was, yeah, he's, he obviously, yeah, he did calm down a bit and after, you know, getting a bit carried away after my heat swim. But so leading into it, he was he was pretty good. He said, you know, we've we've worked hard and we just re- went through and re- reiterated the work that we'd done and we'd prepared and, you know, we couldn't be in any better shape. We couldn't be feeling any better. Um, and everything was, you know, was all the stars were aligned for us to do a great swim. You've just got to go out in there now and do it. Um, mm. And and yeah, and that's what it was. It wasn't um, there wasn't any ins- you know fantastic inspirational words, but <laughs> just the fact that you know we'd done the work, we're ready to race. Just need to go out and execute it now. I love it, mate. Um, this has been awesome. I really appreciate this. This has been so cool for me. Um, probably got a million questions that I want to ask after we get off, but uh, just right. the fact that you you spent some time talking to me, mate. I'm I'm very humbled. That's all right. I don't, I don't mind speaking to the bloke who went to the second best uni in Alabama, so that's all right. <laughs> yeah, tell me, how did you end up at Alabama? How did you get there? <laughs> mate, uh, it was actually with uh, Justin, as I talked about Justin Lemberg earlier, you know, a really good mate of mine. We both signed to go to Alabama before the 84 Olympics, and one of the main reasons was Don Gamble. Uh, he was the head coach at Alabama. He was the US Olympic head coach, um, and he was also a good mate of Laurie's. Uh, and so... Laurie rang Don and said, I've got these two young blokes there, pretty good swimmers. And uh, and so Don sort of saw that we were okay. But obviously we hadn't swum at the Olympics at this point in time. And we'd already we'd already signed. Mm. Um, nice and, pick up um, for them. So, so Don all of a sudden thought, how good is this? How good is this? He signed an Olympic gold medalist, Olympic bronze medalist. Sight <laughs> yeah. unseen. We hadn't even gone over on a recruiting trip or anything. So, wow. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, so we both decided to go to Alabama beforehand and it was just great to get over there. I, I, I really wanted to swim the NC2As and race the collegiate system and and uh, just see how that, that worked. And, and, and I knew it would be good for me to improve my, my starts, my turns, all those little things because... Pablo was just excellent at it, and he has killed me every time on a turn. Yeah. He was just phenomenal, uh, his underwater work, and something I really worked on when I was over there. And unfortunately, he, he just got me in the in the 200-yard fly at NC2As. I finished second there and third in the 100. But, you know, it was it was just a great experience. I loved it, loved the, uh, the 12 months I had there. Um, would have loved to have done more, but, you know, just I, w- I needed to come back and train with Laurie. Um, in preparation for 88 and then yeah unfortunately I got sick I had glandular fever and a few other things but but yeah it um, it was you know I know the guys have a reunion every year and and I'd love to get back over there and see some of the old guys Jens Peter Burnt and uh, Frank Yarkino, Mike Davidson all those guys that you know we swam with it was a great great team that Alabama had and, and I'd love to get back there for the they have a reunion each year and I keep promising to go over there and I was actually going to go over last year because I got inducted into the Swimming Hall of Fame and I was going to make a, a bit of a trip of it and, and take the family to Alabama and and, uh, and visit. And 
But unfortunately, obviously with COVID, uh, you know, we didn't get inducted last year and, and we were going to try and do it then again this year, but it, it's going to be even difficult. I think our, our band is still in place traveling to America. So yeah, who knows when I'll get over there, but I will get, we'll take the family over and take to Alabama and hopefully get to a football game and, uh, yeah, lo- looking forward to getting back over there. Well, mate, the greatest uh, swimmer in the state of Alabama's history is actually on my wall. He swam at Auburn University. That's Rowdy Gaines, if you don't know him. <laughs> he swam There's a bloke called Johnny Skinner before him at Alabama. <laughs> Johnny's, Johnny's pretty good too. Um, actually, my old roommate at Auburn University, um, mm. we live together. He's actually now the associate head coach at Alabama. His name is Ozzy Quavedo, so I, I know the associate head coach out there. And, um, oh, cool. Good man, and uh, yeah, a lot of history. No, look, listen, great programs, both of them had had mm. fierce battles. Um, yeah, but but um, I didn't know you, you'd spent just a year there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, as I said, it was a great year. I think my name's still up on the wall somewhere over there. So should be pretty happy. Pretty happy. Pretty happy about that. So yeah, no, it was as I said, it was a great experience for me. I, I really enjoyed my time there. Um, yeah, so yeah, and no, it was good. I love it, mate. Well, thanks for doing this. Uh, please thank your wife for pinning you down and, and forcing you to do this for me. Then, and uh, it's been a huge honor, and I've loved it, mate. Hopefully, we can do it again sometime in person. All right. No worries, Brett. Always good, mate. See you, John. Take care, mate. Bye. Bye.